Hello, welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast about maladaptive daydreaming. My name is Levi, and I am joined by Dimmer. Hello. Right, so this is episode one, and the topic at hand is how does maladaptive daydreaming affect your life? So our guests today are Nymph, 25-year-old software engineer, Red Halo from North Carolina, and Wolfie, a criminal justice uh, graduate. And just so we're all on the same page, we're going to quickly define maladaptive daydreaming. It's a persistent fantasy activity that is vivid and fanciful and causes distress or dysfunction. Today, we're talking about the distress and dysfunction. The proposed diagnostic criteria outlines mild, moderate, and severe. So mild would be experiences mainly distress, but no obvious functional impairment. Moderate would be one area of functioning affected and severe more than one area. So with that in mind, how would you guys describe the severity of your maladaptive daydreaming? I think mine has changed throughout my life, kind of starting mild and then kind of ramping up into moderate. I think for a short amount of time was severe. And luckily, it's been uh, ramping back down from um, back down to moderate. And I would I think I'm down to mild now, but it's, uh, I, I would say mild currently. <laughs> uh, Nymph? Um, so I think for most of my life, it has been moderate, maybe severe in really distressing situations, but mostly moderate. Um, I think lately it has been mild as I have brought it more and more under control and have been able to limit how much I engage in that activity. Still affects me though. Uh, I think mine is actually pretty mild it also depends on what's happening in my life i think as a child it was especially as a as a young child maybe around before uh, my preteen age it was probably considered severe but uh, as an adult especially right now i think it's mild let's say in the past like five years let, let's give ourselves that window of time to work with for the moment so in, in the past say five or so years what areas was your daydreaming interfering with the most? Probably going to in-person classes when I would have to pay attention to the, what the professor is saying. My attention span was really short. And the professor had to be either talking about something really interesting or or addressing the class directly to get me to pay attention because it was a hard time for me to keep focus without just going into daydreaming about something, whatever it is, something even something I don't like. That was a problem because I would be listening and then I would be not listening. I would be like, what did this guy or lady just say right now? I wish I didn't have to go through all that. It would have made college a lot easier. Yeah, because you're actually a recent um, graduate. You just got your master's not too long ago. Yeah. So for the for the past five years, you've probably been deep in your education. So I don't know, how do you think you stacked up to your peers? Like, did it take you longer than would probably be normal to get your master's? Or were you able to, to stay on track? Uh, I think I did pretty well because... The only thing that really hindered my education and made me kind of graduate like a year later than most people was 
I took a semester off uh, for for my parents business thing they wanted to do in another country in like 2013 so I lost a semester doing that and also just when I first started college it was community college and I didn't know what I wanted to do yeah all of that stuff stacked together gave me an extra year college and ironically none of that had to do with MD it was just that's education stuff that I had to go through same to you nymph last five years or so I think the biggest areas where maladaptive daydreaming has affected me is not really my education because I was able to finish master's a year early uh, by keeping my grades high. So that it hasn't affected my education or my job, but it has affected my functioning as a person. So a lot of times I would skip food, lose weight really badly, um, not sleep enough, go to sleep at like ridiculously late hours and wake up ridiculously early and have a headache constantly so it has affected me more in my personal functioning where I feel like I'm giving up a lot of um, self-care and self-nutrition time to maladaptive daydreaming so so be to be able to do you know daydreaming while also be able to keep up with social and uh, financial student um, responsibilities. I feel like I have been cutting off a lot of my personal health because of this. That's where it personally affects me the most. It's, it, and I think it's it's easy for it to be brushed under the rug because it's like, oh, you're just not healthy, you know. You, But as a young person, but in the long term, I can see a lot of side effects <laughs> because of it. Yeah, they kind of they kind of can snowball on you. So getting mm-hmm. just just a static snapshot of five years might not be the best approach. But <laughs> <laughs> right, but I think I think in in last five years that like a lot of the times I would fall asleep in the middle of the day because my body was just that exhausted, you know, and. It's like it's things like that, which like on the outside, it might seem like, oh, she's just tired because she's hardworking. But it's actually this under the surface creeping up on me. <laughs> how, how would you say it's um, uh, been in your life for the last few th- years, Halo? I think that my maladaptive daydreaming has affected pretty much every facet of my life in one way or another. And as I've mentioned to you before, um, outside of the podcast, um, I kind of look at it to be certain symptoms are kind of primary symptoms and others are kind of secondary. By that, I mean primary as in when you're daydreaming for several hours a day on average, you kind of lose that amount of time each day. And I would say that's like a passive, I mean, a a direct uh, result of the daydreaming. You just have less time. And you're, uh, because of the daydreaming, I'm doing it and I'm going to less social activities. I'm doing, I'm less productive because I'm using that time. I'm getting less sleep because I'm daydreaming instead. And it's affected through my career. Uh, I've a severe procrastination issue that I'm working on currently. And it's that's pretty much been throughout my entire life, not just in five years, as well as, uh, as socially, it's caused me some issues in the past. Um, it's it's I've used it mostly as a coping mechanism. So it's if ever I was in a certain amount of stress or going through a certain or dealing with something, I would daydream to kind of use it as an escape. And which wasn't a healthy way to um, to deal with negative situations in my life, because it's almost just closing your eyes and going off into an imaginary world isn't going to make your problems go away. So I would say in the last five years, it's it was kind of mo- more moderate back then. And over time, it's gotten more and more mild, luckily. 
So it's, uh, it's affected my career, uh, personal life. It's affected, uh, virtually every facet of my life. And then because it's caused issues with my career and my school life, that's kind of trickled down and hurt my, I guess, self-esteem way I view the world. It's uh, fractured certain relationships, be it family or romantically or friendships. I would say that it's kind of spread through everything through one way or another. Yeah, definitely. And that's a good point. I feel like I really boxed Wolfie in there by like focusing on the last couple of years. So I don't know. Do you want to go back a little bit in time, Wolfie? And like, how did it because you, you made it through okay, like everything that held you back seemed to be not the daydreaming. What what led you up to the point where where it became an obvious problem? Oh, well, then that's going back a while ago when it was a really obvious problem. My childhood. I was an only child. And only child, I had, you know, I had friends. They would come over and we'd play, but they weren't around all the time. So I would spend my time either watching TV or playing alone. I had to figure out a way to entertain myself. And TV, watching cartoons, that's what, <laughs> that's what I guess gave me ideas. And that's how I entertained myself, by making little cartoons in my head. And... And I had to go to real school. I had to go to preschool, and there were problems there. And then um, kindergarten. And kindergarten was probably the first time daydreaming became obvious. Because that was uh, the first time someone noticed that I was doing something weird. That was my kindergarten teacher. So I was working on a math on math problems and I got bored. So I got up from my seat and started pacing and daydreaming. And then my teacher had to go back and tell me to go back and get to work, take a seat. I had no idea I was doing that. So it was in front of all the kids. All the kids saw me do that. It was really embarrassing. When you think about the first time that you've daydreamed or the first time that you realize that you're daydreaming or you're lost in imagination or what have you has that impact of maladaptive daydreaming on your life become more or less with time leading up to let's say the present it i think it actually did become less because like i said before as a kid especially a young kid it was really bad and I had to learn over time to mask it, reduce it. I had to learn kind of like tricks and techniques so that I wasn't obviously daydreaming in front of people. And then Nymph, what about you? So I think it, at first it wasn't too bad because I never had trouble masking it from people. I, I always was very good at doing it in private away from people, you know, when they weren't around. So as I got more time for myself, as I grew older and was able to get more um, privacy, it got worse because then I had more room to, you know, do it whenever I wanted. There were no social constraints. 
And so it got worse before it got better. And it, it, honestly, the only reason it got better was because, as I mentioned earlier, it was severely impacting my health. I was uh, getting headaches almost every day. I was getting sprains all the time in my leg because I used to pace around. And I one time dozed off while driving almost. And uh, had to park at the curb. And one time I almost got a concussion. So it was really, really affecting my health. And I think that was a big wake-up call for me a few years ago. And once I got that wake-up call, I realized that just because I can do it in private and nobody can notice it because I can keep up with my social social and, um, you know, uh, student responsibilities doesn't mean it isn't bad for me. And when I realized that, I was able to... find techniques to curb it and bring it uh, to the point where I'm not as dependent on it to uh, manage my emotions. So yeah, I think it got worse before it got better over over my life so far. And right now I'm in that stage where I have decent control over it and I'm hoping I'll get more control further down the road. I think it's, you know, it has to do a lot also with when we're kids, you know, we're sort of allowed to have vivid imaginations and a ton of creativity. But then as we grow older and we get into school and we start jobs and we have to study and all that type of stuff, you know, we're, we're sort of told that, okay, it's, it's time to live in the real world now, you know, and that <laughs> sort of adds to that, that whole difficulty of just, it, it makes things worse. Cause now yeah. you're sitting with this thing where you want to daydream you, you want to engage with this thing, but it's it's like life is sort of a bit chaotic. So it's right. and you also have all these responsibilities you now have to take care of that you don't have time for otherwise. Yeah. Everything just adds together. Yep. <laughs> and then how about you, Halo? Uh, I've pretty much been daydreaming as long as I could remember. Um I guess I was the line between what's an immersive daydreamer and when when it becomes maladaptive and when it becomes a problem, I guess it's kind of a more blurry line for me. I remember being as young as I could remember daydreaming constantly. And as as you said earlier, it's uh, completely normal when you're little to uh, to daydream and be in kind of in your own world. Though I guess growing up at some point in my young childhood, um, it's because of different money issues, because of issues of, I moved from the north into a more rural area kind of in the South, and uh, there were certain openly racist uh, issues that I had to kind of deal with growing up. Social issues and other other kind of things, and at some point it became more, uh, I started daydreaming more and more, and it became kind of a severe issue. And at some point in my teen years, uh, I guess this is the uh, power of being anonymous on the internet, just as this uh, red halo name, uh, I guess I'll admit, for a while, my dad went to jail, and I was a young teen, and then my mother had a severe medical condition. So there was a period of time when I was a young teen, and I had my uh, part-time job. I technically was the only person with an income in my family for, for a couple months, for a few months. And that kind of stress really got to me, and also the social pressures, because I was terrified I didn't want anybody in my school or anybody that I knew to know what was going on, because I guess it's a mixture of shame and other issues. And I would kind of 
daydream these worlds and I would always just think of them as stories. I always wanted to write a novel or a comic or a movie one day or something. So I would just have these plots in my head that would just just go on and on and on dozens hundreds of them now I, I can't even remember of these overarching plots and characters and subplots and i would always whenever i was doing work whenever i was doing pretty much anything i was always in this world and then it, it, the problems from leaving into another kind of imaginary world while, while i'm doing things it, they just kind of compounded over time and my procrastination issue got worse and then focus issues started appearing as well and i it's and this was also before I realized what maladaptive daydreaming was. So I didn't know what was wrong with me. And then that fear, I was daydreaming all the time and all these other things. I was thinking, maybe could I have another disorder? Could it be more severe? Could it be some kind of bad mental disorder where it's, this is, this could be terrifying in my mind. The unknown and what, what, what it could be always kind of shook me a little bit at the time. So... I started also trying random treatments and some almost dangerous ones to try to fix my issues. And over time, luckily, it's gotten from that severe and more moderate. Now, I, I think it's much more mild now that I kind of have it much more under control. Mm. I think you, you mentioned a really important uh, aspect of maladaptive daydreaming as well, where you said that, you know, you use this as a coping mechanism to sort of escape from social pressures and general life issues and things like that. But over time, that didn't fix any problems. In fact, it added more stress to things as well, which is something that, you know, a lot of people also need to understand about maladaptive daydreaming is it's it feels like it's helping, but at the end of the day, it's just adding, you know, it's not fixing the problem at all. It's sort of just masking the problem. I like what, what Halo said there, too, about the, um, the, the fear from before you knew what it was. And that was a, a source of a lot of distress. What part of what's happening, what part of what it's affecting is like... Especially with you, Nymph, a lot of, um, you know, uh, physical descriptions. I guess I, I'm asking more about the emotional descriptions. Um, you, you know, what's it? This is what it does, but what does it feel like? So, I mean, again, I don't want to say that it doesn't have an emotional effect. I think it has a bit of a numbing effect for me personally. And I think that's why I do it because it's a coping mechanism. I think the way Red, it is definitely a coping mechanism for me, um, the way Red Halo pointed out, um, in that it numbs a lot of my more extreme emotions. Anger is a big one for me. Um, and in a way, it's it helps me in that I don't express my anger as often in my personal life and, you know, don't lash out at people when they shouldn't be lashed out at but at the same time it kind of numbs me to a lot of other positive emotions and that I think causes me a lot of distress personally because personally I feel like in my everyday friends and family interactions I'm rather passive uh, when it comes to emotional investment um, and I guess Maladaptive daydreaming is a is really fun because you know you can pour all of your um, messy emotions in a very safe space you've created in your head, but at the same time you're also not really dealing with them. 
And personally, I feel like whenever I stop maladaptive daydreaming, I find myself a lot more irritated with people, a lot more angry. And because I never learned how to actually process those emotions properly, I, you know, deal with it poorly in my personal life. So in, a, in an emotional sense, I think it has a numbing factor for me. What about you, Wolfie? Guess sometimes I will daydream about bad things, and my brain will just not stop with these intrusive thoughts. And sometimes the intrusive thoughts will become a daydream. I will think about them so long that it feels like I'm daydreaming about them. I really hate that. Just like I will remember things that I did as a child. And daydream scenarios about that bad memory. And it's like, why? I don't need to do this. It's already happened. It makes me feel really bad. They keep coming back. And I don't know how to make them stop. Most of the times, I think my daydreams are pretty harmless. like, And they're funny and and entertaining, but sometimes I'll just be thinking about something that I shouldn't be thinking about, and it's it doesn't it doesn't stop. A lot of the problems of maladaptive daydreaming, at least for me, it's kind of sometimes like a domino effect, like the um, the procrastination issue or the issues of it's where it's harder to focus, or it kind of uh, impairs other things in life almost in a secondary. Uh, secondary factor in that in social in my social life I would rather daydream a lot of the time and just pace around in a room kind of over and over and over instead of doing certain things socially which kind of impaired my social life and sometimes kind of also gives you a little bit of social social atrophy if that makes sense if the less you talk to people the more your relationship suffers and then the more that happens the less you connect with other people so then that gives you a more uh, more of a reason to daydream um, in the future, and those kind of negative spirals kept happening in various ways. And being addicted to the daydreams, there's a lot of issues that I'm not sure would be directly from maladaptive daydreaming. For instance, there are a lot of there are a lot of secondary side effects. For instance, uh, with with other addictions, be it because people can become addicted to anything, we're just addicted to these immersive daydreams. So, uh, and then there's secondary side effects like. Uh, when we're as we're addicted to the daydreams, a lot of us have energy issues. I know Nymph just said that they were constantly exhausted, and I it, it seems to be very common depending on on voice chat and other issues with other people here. And it's very common in my life. I'd also have energy issues. I don't know if it's directly from the maladaptive daydreaming, or I think it. This is my personal <laughs> my personal hypothesis hypothesis, but I think it's just it's tiring to be in these really really vivid and imaginative daydream worlds constantly for hours a day and sometimes it's almost as if my brain would just get tired and uh, for instance chess players are sitting there for hours a day calculating doing all these chess moves <clears throat> and many of them are completely exhausted even though that they're young just by imagining all these calculations and i don't think maladaptive daydreaming is any less intense than than some of these uh than some of these intellectual kind of games because we're daydreaming characters we're daydreaming ourselves in different social situations experiencing their emotions 
And that kind of fatigue and mental fatigue kind of created a brain fog, I guess. Or I'm not sure if that's secondary because of the um, addictive side to it, where we're addicted to the hormones and we get the serotonin and dopamine rushes constantly, which kind of create a negative effect, which is common in various other um, addictions as well. So I'm not sure when the what part of it is the maladaptive daydreaming and which parts are kind of go along with the addiction side or just from doing it for so many hours a day. But it's it's just there are so many negatives, and I'm not sure where maladaptive daydreaming begins and where other comorbid disorders kind of start. I do want to get back to what Wolfie said earlier, though, uh, about the intrusive thoughts. I know that the problem with maladaptive daydreaming as well is that it's sort of it's like you're you're obsessing over certain thoughts, right? Like certain thoughts replay over and over in your mind and. When those thoughts are negative or when they're intrusive, it really has a very tiring effect on you as well. Because a lot of times, you know, people are thinking, well, maladaptive daydreaming, it has to do just with daydreaming or just with, you know, characters and worlds. But uh, a lot of people don't take into account the intrusiveness of it as well, especially if it's thoughts that you don't want to remember. So, yeah, that was also uh, an interesting point to make. Yeah, what did you say there? People think that it's just daydreaming or, you know, it's just this or that. So I'm kind of wondering if we can get some anecdotes here. So uh, I'm going to set up a situation. You, you go to your doctor or your therapist and they ask you to tell them a story, which will showcase what you're talking about, why this is a problem. Can you recall a time for us maybe that would really illustrate to somebody how this is intrusive in your life and it doesn't have to be i don't mean like your most severe episode or, or anything like that it doesn't need to be particularly severe or anything just just something that showcases why this is a problem for you i've got one i guess i could start off while the other two think if they want um i was uh i'm normally a pacer and uh, I generally don't listen to music while I was daydreaming, though. So I remember uh, walking and pacing in my room kind of in a circle-ish kind of shape. And just while mumbling a little bit to myself, maybe twitching just slightly, just in a circle, just over and over and over. And at some point, I realized that the door was open and that my sister was standing there and just watching me. And I could tell on her, that, on her expression, she was kind of looking at me just a, what? in the fresh hell are you doing? What are you doing? This is strange. I remember, because it's hard to explain to people that aren't immersive daydreamers or aren't, or aren't maladaptive, when you kind of come out of a long daydream, sometimes you get a certain, it's fuzzy sometimes, or sometimes it's, it's like you have to reload like reality.exe in your brain. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was looking at her and I didn't have any kind of, I didn't have any excuse. I wasn't, I was just walking in a room in a circle with, and I didn't really have any reason for it that I could give her. So I remember just looking back at her for a moment, just, I didn't say anything. And she was just kind of, and she stood there for a moment expecting some kind of a, some kind of an explanation. And then when it didn't happen, she just slowly closed the door and I heard her walk away. And it was so embarrassing, and to this day, it makes me cringe a little bit. One time, I was, uh, I think it had just rained in our, um, since my uh, childhood home. And I was around, like, 16. 
and it had rained really badly and some of the floor was really wet because the we had like these huge uh, window panes and the water came in quite often so my mom you know she very clearly warned us that hey i'm not going to get to clean this until evening nobody touch it and i having the compulsive need to pace i told myself multiple times you know don't do that it's dangerous and then i i started pacing anyway and then i slipped and i hit myself in the head and my immediate impulse was to try to get up and continue and that's obviously dangerous luckily i was my mom was able to find and found out i was bleeding and then she was able to get me stitched up but it's just one of those moments when i realized like how strong my need is to go back to this like i'm on the floor i just hit my head i'm bleeding and i still want to continue and i think that is a that's the example i gave my therapist when i was explaining this to her and she was like wow <laughs> like okay that that seems serious uh wolfie uh yeah i have uh, i've been caught daydreaming before many times by my parents or even kids at school I guess one time that I vividly remember was that as a kid, not really understand that what I did was weird. So like I've been caught many times for doing that. And I don't know if that has to do more with autism or what, but just not understanding that what I was doing was not socially acceptable. But one time I was um, watching my VHS tapes and uh, this was back before YouTube and music on a CD and stuff like that. At least I didn't even have any of those like CD players and things as a kid. So I had to use the actual TV and the VCR to help me daydream some things for fun. And I was, the VCR for a long time was in the game room and that room was, um, it had no door. It was just an open room. So one time I was daydreaming and I was pacing and making sounds. My dad was watching me and he was clearly trying to like hide so he I wouldn't see him. And I saw I caught him watching me and he was laughing like he was like, what is going on here? <laughs> it's like this kid plays so weird. <laughs> and I went over to him and I just I kind of just like tackled him and like, and I don't think I even said anything. I was just like, stop. <laughs> this must have been like really embarrassing. <laughs> just like get him to like leave, like stop watching me. This is like my my personal fun time here. Like, why are you looking? I'm listening to these and I'm like, oh my God, I got stories that are weirdly similar. <laughs> I think a lot of us do. Yeah. Like those moments where we realized this is a problem, like a real problem. Right. The one that, the one that got me was, uh, it was after my son was born and I took him to an indoor play place and uh, I'm a responsible parent. You know, I put my phone away. I was mm -hmm. paying attention to him. He was in this little ball pit thing and um, he couldn't find a ball. I was looking right at him and this um, stranger came over and just took him by the hand and walked off with him. 
and I didn't see it happen. I was staring. I was staring right at him. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Yeah, I'd slipped into a daydream and I didn't see a complete stranger walk away with my toddler. Um, So when I eventually I snapped out of it, like my whatever part of me was still conscious must have realized something was wrong. I don't know how long he was gone for. Uh, He was okay. It was just another parent like helping him find a ball. (laughs) But that was, yeah, that was a big wake up like moment. Right. Oh, my God. That's a good story. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah if i had to tell somebody like what what what's what's uh what's uh so awful about it why is it a problem yeah because my child can be kidnapped right in front of my face and i wouldn't know right oh my god it's terrifying i think it is worth mentioning to hi- to kind of add on to that how sometimes when we get into really deep immersive daydreams sometimes it feels like the world around us kind of blacks out and we're kind of we're almost entranced in, in the daydream sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how common it is with, you, with the rest of you, but sometimes if you're, you can miss entire conversations or people that are trying to get your attention sometimes, and you're just so zoned out kind of in your own world that it can become, uh, that, that does become an issue. And mm-hmm. it's, especially if you're driving and you start to date, drift off into a daydream. I've done that a few times before and it's, I've legitimately, I, I turn off all my music and I completely make myself completely in the moment because I'm afraid I might run into something or not see something because I'm because I would drift off into daydreams. One benefit of only doing it in private is that I don't really know how I would react if other people tried to talk to me. But I definitely know what you mean by that hazy feeling you get when you get out of it. It's like you almost had to reload your entire life all over again. And I think that can really, you know, leave you disoriented. Someone uh, explained it really well to me from a comment section. Uh, They said that it's sort of like they're logging off from the real world for a bit, which is such a good way to put it because it's almost like you're on autopilot, right? And uh, to get back to what Halo said, especially when you're driving, uh, I'm a motorcycle rider and I do that a lot. And when I told people that I do that, they don't understand. They're just like, oh, you really shouldn't do that. And I'm like, thanks, man. You know, it's it's not like I can I control no it. I you know? I'm not supposed to do that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what a great advice. Yeah, it, it's not like, you know, it, that, that's the thing about MD is that it's not like, sometimes we do control it, but when we hit that autopilot part of it, especially in conversations and things like that, it's just like, we don't realize until we realize. And then it's like, oh, damn, I kind of kind of zoned out there. <laughs> I think the compulsive part of it too, right? Like your need to go back to it is so strong. That even when you know you shouldn't even, you know, go there. It's really hard not to. Like it's, it's like a weird pull. It has created many awkward situations throughout my life. I'm just trying to think of some of them. Like uh, just trying to, once you come out of the daydream, like I remember... There isn't really a term for it, I guess, but I've just been calling it like uh, the immersive daydreams, like the really deep ones. I was kind of cons- uh, just calling the immersive daydreams, but then there was also, you just kind of also go into daydreams while you're talking or doing other tasks or chores. And I would kind of, I just started calling them passive daydreams because I didn't know if there was another word for it yet. So 
I would constantly passive daydreams, uh, passive daydream into like these paracosms and whatnot into these uh, imaginary worlds. And I remember being in conversations with people all of a sudden, uh, like back in the day, I was helping in local politics and then people were talking to me and I was saying I was uh, having in a conversation with them, but I was mostly in my daydream. And all of a sudden, everybody bursts out laughing and says, oh, that's a great point. And then all of a sudden, I have to log back into the real world. And I'm thinking, I don't know what the hell I just said. What are we talking about? What's going on? And I'm just trying to kind of uh, just trying to jump back into reality. And sometimes it's shocking. And I'm not sure what I said or what's going on. And that that kind of going back and forth, it is it is kind of terrifying sometimes. That happens to me as well. My husband came in one time. He's like, I'm going to make some pizza, but I'm going to put it in the microwave instead of on the pizza stone. And I'm like, all right, sounds great. Give me a kiss. Mm." And uh, he comes back three minutes later with a slice of pizza for me. And I go, why didn't you use the pizza stone? (laughs) Because I was daydreaming the entire time he was talking to me. I, I talked to him. I said it was fine. I kissed him. I had no idea. But he got mad. He got so mad because it's not it's not just that one time. It's all the time. And this was before I had told him about the maladaptive daydreaming, you know, which just leaves your partner so upset because they think you don't listen to them ever. You don't ever listen to me. You don't care about what I say. Right. So, yeah. And th- so that that was like just another straw on the pile. Um, I had missed like three of my son's dentist appointments that week because I was just on autopilot when I picked him up. I, I went home instead of to the appointment. And when you miss an appointment, you know, it's... It costs you. It costs you. There's a fee. Like I have paid a small fortune in in like no-show fees. And my dentist finally got to the point where he was like, we're going to drop you as a patient. Like show up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They don't do that. Yeah, all these little things that that build up. So I mean, there's a lot of the the obvious things. But um so yeah, I don't what are those little things for you? For me it was the the time, little tiny incident after tiny incident that made my husband feel like I didn't care or listen to him. Um but do you guys have like examples of the little things? I mean, I mostly gave examples of the big things of in my physical health, but a lot of the little things that I give up that really add up like even appointments right I have a really hard time being on time sometimes or like I'm always like precisely on time and really rushed because I'm spending all of the extra time I have the buffer times daydreaming and it adds up you know I miss appointments because I would rather be daydreaming than go to the thing that I should be doing or sometimes I will you know not do health checkups on time I will, you know, drive really fast on the road because I was busy daydreaming and I left too late for an important test, for example. Um, I think one example is I was, this year, I was going to give a very important uh, proficiency test for something. And it's it's a type of appointment that is really hard to get in general. And because of the pandemic, even more hard because the test standards are mostly closed. And I was able to get an appointment finally. And I was ready for it. I had studied for it and everything. And on the day of, it was around noon. So I had to leave by 10 because it was two hours away. That's the only test center I could find. 
and I was running late because of the maladaptive daydreaming thing. And I got to the test center five minutes late. And they're really strict about that kind of stuff. They were able to squeeze me in, but I lost 10, 15 minutes of actual test time. And maybe my score would have been better if I had shown up on time. I was fully prepared for it too. Luckily, I got a good score, but again, you know, so many ifs. And it's just the little things that add up and cost you big time. When when we're in our different daydream worlds, and everybody daydreams about different things and different feelings, but it's common to have a more idealized version of yourself. And you start seeing of yourself as, as, as those characters. And you live out either these fantasies, though there, many of them are also dark, or you're experiencing different, these different lives, then it also gives unrealistic expectations in life. And you kind of, and it oftentimes, life can feel empty because you, oftentimes when you don't have those same things, it kind of, sometimes it's almost unfair to people around you that you're almost judging your life and your relationships with them compared to sometimes what's perfection or what can't be obtained in real life sometimes. And it's those kind of unrealistic expectations often would affect my self-esteem, which seems to be common around here as well, and uh, different views on life in general. And it's you're always comparing your your world to uh, to reality, and it's it's not really a fair comparison. I don't know. I was having a really hard time thinking of this one. I guess one little thing that adds up literally is like loss of sleep. Because I know that when I was in school, I would daydream when I had time, which was usually when I was home and after I had done all my homework. I was like, okay, it's time to daydream and it's way past my bedtime, but I don't care. And I keep doing it. And then the next day, I am extremely tired. I feel really terrible. <laughs> and I, can't, I kept doing it. If I was really obsessed with something at some time, that's when it gets really bad. If I have a new story that I wanted to tell, a new scene in one of my stories even. I think when I was um, at my my job as a graduate assistant for my master's degree, it got so bad that I had to quit my job because there were problems in the actual job itself, which didn't need to exist. for, but, um, Combined that with my actual problem with not not sleeping well because I had to daydream so much, um, it was just I couldn't do that job anymore because I was starting to actually get lower grades and I needed to graduate that semester. So I had to, to quit the job. I couldn't do do it like normal people because I had to do my daydreaming or else. So one thing that I used to do was with music, right? Um, oh, God. I, this is going to make me sound so old, but I had a Walkman. <laughs> yeah, with like a, a headphones from like the 80s. And I would put them on and, and sleep like that. And I'm a side sleeper too. So Ooh. press. Yeah, I would press into my ear. But it didn't matter. You, you just like you, the the you fell down, you smashed your head open, you wanted to get right back up in danger. <laughs> like my ears hurt so bad, but it didn't matter. I just kept going, and um, I gave up music a while ago, so I hadn't worn headphones in a while. But then to you know do the do the podcast or to voice chat with people on on the Discord, I started wearing headphones again, 
and they hurt my ears so bad. And I don't know if it's connected. I really feel like it's because I damaged them like that and was always in constant pain um, oh. in my younger years. I mean, it's related to that. I, I'm pretty sure I have runner's knee from all the pacing, mostly running, really, that I do because of daydreaming. Like, I get knee pain a lot for someone my age. I don't know if it's related, but I'm, I'm going to guess so. Has the physical stuff, like, really added up on you, Halo? So I'm in a weird position right now. Um, I've been daydreaming about all my life, but in about, I would say, the last two and a half months, I've pretty much stopped. I've pretty much gone cold turkey. I've stopped the immersive daydreamings pretty much completely, and the passive ones, for the most part, I've cut back tremendously on them. And I'm only bringing that up because... Um, some of the side effects I've been having uh, kind of, I guess, have been reversing themselves. And I'm, and it's, it's just interesting to kind of, I'm noticing that I'm improving. I didn't realize how bad I was in several ways. For instance, uh, like you said, sleep. In the past, throughout all my life, even like the teen, certain teen years and like young, like childhood, when I should be like the most energetic of my life, I was always tired. Like the fatigue was very severe. And I would sometimes I would sleep eight, nine, ten, even more hours when it got really bad. And I would still, when I woke up, I would still feel even, feel even more tired. Now that I'm not daydreaming anymore, and I went through the kind of withdrawal symptoms for three weeks or three, four weeks, and I've gotten kind of past it, I'm able to kind of survive on way less sleep all of a sudden. And it's kind of like uh, I'm gaining so much time every day, and I'm way more energetic. And I don't get the fatigue, and I don't get the tiredness that I would get. And it's... I didn't realize just how tired I was now that I have more energy and I can do more things. And uh, there are other uh, other things other than just the energy issues. Uh, overall, more way more energy now, too. Um, and uh, I have less brain fog now. I have less. Uh, I'm able to focus more. It's almost like my brain had to relearn to kind of live in the moment, not daydream off, this, off to the side. And I, I would say that those kind of Living with those issues, it was definitely pretty debilitating almost sometimes. And uh, now being kind of without them or my issues are becoming more and more mild and starting to go away, it's definitely kind of like a new lease on life. Wolfie, uh, did you want to add anything to like maybe how um, your repetitive movement or anything impacts like your, your actual body? Uh, yeah, sometimes I'll get foot pain if I pace for hours. Uh, sometimes... I will stub my toe or a sharp point of a furniture will scratch me or hit me in my hip or something. I'll hit my hand on something. Things always are always in my way. I don't think I've ever had a room where nothing hits me. So a lot of maladaptive daydreamers talk about feeling extremely frustrated or maybe even angry at times when they are... Uh, they're barred from daydreaming or when their daydreams are interrupted. To everyone here, how do you feel when you are unable to daydream? Do you experience any withdrawal symptoms or does it impact you emotionally or how can you explain that? So normally whenever I was back when I was daydreaming more, um, it would, if I was daydreaming and somebody would bother me or I would have to be pulled out of it all of a sudden it would be very irritating and um especially if i was able to have a time where i could pace alone in a, in a room this or that like if i had to knock on the door or i had to do something else even if it's something i enjoyed doing oftentimes i was just so addicted to the daydreaming i didn't want to come out of it 
and it's uh and if i i tried to curb the daydreaming and tried to do it less it would i would get certain negative issues the anger the uh just the feeling of just feeling terrible in general this and that and it got uh i would say it got the worst part was when i quit cold turkey a couple of two and a half months ago or so and i went through about three weeks of severe um symptoms uh anger issues uh irritation the brain fog for a while got worse um certain things weren't enjoyable anymore uh i went through pretty much major uh all, all the major symptoms of uh, like breaking an addiction i i generally tried to just curb my daydreaming by doing it less and less each day but I didn't have any success with that, and I kept falling back into bad habits. Out of almost desperation and trying to fix my problems, I began trying to go cold turkey, and it's worked really well for me. Though I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, because it really is incredibly stressful. And to learn to kind of live without a, an important coping mechanism isn't something that I think everybody should go through if they don't have to. Um, and it's, it's definitely a sudden shift in life, and it, it does create a lot of problems on its own. I have some experience going cold turkey myself. I think I went almost a month once, and it was awful. And when I slipped back and when I relapsed, I was actually worse. Like, my brain was catching up. And I, I definitely agree. Like, I, I definitely felt a lot of irritation and anger towards everybody in my life. I felt like I wanted to, you know, scream at everybody. And overall, I just felt like I was kind of... Like, my personal life was just very dull in comparison, is what I found. And I found that to be, you know, very distressful. Like, it, it made me more depressed. And lately, I've, I've had the opposite experience because I've tried to go cold turkey multiple times. And it has never worked for me. And lately, what's been working for me, and it might not work in, like, five months, so ask me then. <laughs> but what has been working for me is to curb it down slowly. And also replace the habit with something that's enjoyable but less addictive. So um, video games I need to catch up on or even sleep. Previously, I would always try to replace my daydreams with productive grunge work. And then I didn't want to do it. And lately, I've been replacing it with enjoyable but not super addictive activities. And that has been helping me curb it down slowly. But I, I, I definitely feel like the days I don't daydream as much i definitely am more irritable than usual okay uh, and then how about you wolfie uh how do you experience any withdrawal symptoms or being unable to daydream i think i do also get kind of mad because daydreaming's like unless something really good happened that day and it sticks with me for the rest of the day Daydreaming is the most fun part. It is the most fun that I have all day. So if I don't have a way to like, like have fun, to, like the, the the saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Like you don't have a, a time for just, just something that's not work, <clears throat> just not work related or not stress related. Like, and yeah, you're going to you're going to start to get really overwhelmed and and start to feel some negative emotions. So I think I I get I do get kind of depressed and also angry. 
I think it brings up a good point about um, uh, maladaptive daydreaming is fun. It does feel good. I'm sure once in a while we have the intrusive, like, freaky ones. But overall, you get addicted to it because it's awesome. Like, it feels good. And I think for a lot of people, that can hide the effect that it's actually having on your life or cause them to minimize the effect. Like, I can't pay attention at school, but that's not a big deal. Like, I'm happy, so who cares? I'm not hurting anyone else. And I thought, I thought like that too, but it, it really did take years of these things building up for me to notice just how bad it had gotten. That's also the, the addictive part of it, right? It's because real life is just, it has its really bad areas and it has its stressful areas and it's kind of boring compared to our daydreams. Like... Who wouldn't want to be, you know, in in a world where things are just better for us and things like that? And that's where, like I said, the addictive part comes in. And we don't really notice it unless it's really bad. But then also a lot of people feel that they don't really want to get rid of it because, well, what do they have then? You know, it's it's sort of like... Well, this this might be a very extreme comparison, but it's very similar to to drug use in a way. You get so addicted to the nice feeling of it until it becomes such a big problem that's so difficult to walk away from. I was in a awkward situation once with kind of my family watching a movie, and it was it was one about a prison. And I remember they were showing him as a punishment. They gave him isolated, like isolated confinement, and he was in his empty room by himself and he was just pacing around and he was just going crazy because he couldn't stand and it was torture i remember saying out loud you know it's not that bad being in that situation it's i, I don't think it's really that bad and oh everybody else God. kind of looked at me like uh, what are you talking about and i just kind of spoke out loud without thinking there's an episode of the twilight zone i can't remember what it's called um where it goes through the episode and the twist at the end is that he was an astronaut in training and he had been in a isolation chamber for like a month. And I remember, I remember watching that going like, Oh my God, I wish I could be in an isolation chamber for like a month. That'd be so easy. Mm -hmm. After a month, they'll open the door and then you'll say, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Just ask them to close the door back. <laughs> Give you a little longer. Exactly. And it is, it is like that too. Like, uh, you know, you go on a 16 hour daydream binge and then somebody walks in like, hey, we got to we got to go do this. And invariably, what's a maladaptive daydreamer going to say? Like, give me five more minutes. <laughs> Just learning about maladaptive daydreaming, I think, has been a big help to me, um, realizing that other people are doing it as well. And it's that's we share so many different symptoms and certain other issues, this and that. I remember just finding about it. I, I kind of ignored it at first. The, oh, other some other people daydream, kind of. And I kind of, until I saw a meme, I think it was a SpongeBob meme on the, on the subreddit about that other people paste. I didn't really realize that other people also paste. And I was like, wait, I have to look into this more. And just knowing that the daydreaming causes certain issues and that I have to try to limit it more and that it's all connected and it's, that's been a huge help as well as knowing other people are kind of dealing with it 
just talking to other people here on voice chat and their experiences or uh, filling other things with hobbies, um, filling time with other kind of hobbies and stuff like sarcasm mentioned. Um, it's been really useful for curbing my maldeath um, daydreaming along with all the other uh, pinned resources here, like going to different things on the subreddit or different YouTube channels or different studies. Um, it's been really, really useful for me and keeping my maldeath daydreaming in check. I mean, the other, I think Halo kind of touched on this, but even just connecting your distress in your personal life to the maladaptive daydreaming can be a huge process. Like, I think it took me a very long time to be like, oh, I have these health issues and the, these procrastination issues, and that's connected to my maladaptive daydreaming habit. I think that connection once I made that, I think I made a lot of progress, but that took a very long time. Yeah, there are um, just strange things that you wouldn't think are connected to it. One day the dominoes just fall into place and you're like, oh. My whole life makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, it's really surreal. And we will do, we will do an episode on um, finding out about maladaptive daydreaming because that is a big, a big experience for a lot of people. It, it affects people very deeply. But I think that's it for today. Next time on the podcast, we'll be talking about uh, telling people, telling people about maladaptive daydreaming and how that all panned out for our guests. Yeah, so that is it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening. Be sure to either subscribe, follow, like, all that type of stuff. Uh, we'll put a bunch of links down in the description for you to the ICMDR where you can find uh, links to research papers. We'll put uh, a link to the Discord if you want to be a guest on the podcast or sit in as part of the audience. You can join the subreddit, Our Maladaptive Dreaming. Wild Minds is back up and running. There's active communities on, on every social media platform, on Instagram, on Tumblr, Twitter, Amino, Facebook. The Maladaptive Daydreaming only fans. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sure it I'm, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah thanks for listening bye